Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. So last week on Kids Considered, we did something a little bit special. Mm -hmm. We decided to talk just for a brief time about the novel coronavirus. Right. It was a real slice of time, a moment in time, because what we talked about last week was good for like that day. Right. And we said that at that time. And And as soon as we finished talking, like everything changed. New information came out Uh as happens with these things. And so some of our listeners requested that at least while this is going on and this is big news, that we give them an update weekly so that they can have some reliable information coming out. So we should mention that today is March 4th. Today is March 4th, and we don't know how long this information will be good, but we do think that it's useful to have an update. Right. So, Dr. Dean, how have the numbers changed? How many more people are affected? How many more deaths are we seeing? What has changed since last week? Yeah, so the total number of cases, of course, keeps rising. Mm-hmm. And worldwide, there's over 93,000 cases now reported. Of those 93,000, over 80,000 are reported in China. So that's 86% of the total cases are in China. But I'm sure people have heard that there's also cases, um, many cases, over 5,000 cases in South Korea, over 2,500 cases in Italy, Iran has over 2,300 cases. And Japan has a lot of cases too. So those are real, the real, the real hotspots that we're seeing right now. But cases are reported on every continent except for Antarctica. Right. Still here in the United States, it hasn't been so widespread. Is that correct? Well, the number of reported cases haven't, but we'll, I guess we'll talk about why the number of reported cases is probably an underestimate later. But there's been a total of 80 cases reported in the U.S. and nine deaths. Yeah. And so that's a number that has definitely increased since we talked last week. And I think one of the other things that has changed is how this virus is being transmitted. So now we're seeing, and correct me if I'm wrong, some more community-acquired cases of the novel coronavirus, COVID-19. You're exactly right. So these are cases that are transmitted in the community that don't have a known travel-related source. And so you remember last week we were talking about people who were being tested were only people who had traveled to areas of concern or had direct contact with somebody with travel to areas of concern. Right. So now you didn't necessarily need to go to China to potentially have COVID-19. So as I like to say, the cat is out of the bag. And I don't know where that expression came from, but... The virus is out there, and yeah. so it is It is being transmitted in the community. You don't have to go to China to get it. There's enough cases that we know that there's cases being transmitted um, in, in several parts of the world just by casual contact. Yeah, so this brings me next step to testing. Um, so I know that before we were only testing people that had gone to China, But I think something that's changed between last week when we recorded this update and this week is the availability of testing. Right. And so that's been a big focus in the U.S. So worldwide, there's been a lot more testing than in the U.S. because they've been using a different test 
that was available. The, in Germany, they developed a, a test for um, this novel coronavirus, and the WHO, the World Health Organization, immediately said this is the standard test. The U.S. had been developing their own test. They have developed that. Now several manufacturers have that, and these are being rolled out. And so we're told that there should be widespread availability. I'm not sure exactly how widespread that is, but I know here in California where we are, um, there are several labs that are able to do the test, including here in Sacramento County. So it's not going to be as easy as like, say your child has fever, cough, myalgias or muscle aches. And right now it's pretty common when you go to your pediatrician that they'll do like a nasal swab and they'll send it for influenza. Right. Is it something that we are going to expect is going to get to that level of ease of testing or not? Not really. Well, that would be great. I think it's going to take a while to get to the ease of testing for the in-office kind of thing. But I think it'll be a lot easier that you can get the test done. It'll go to a central lab, whether that's a commercial lab or a state government lab or county government lab, and then get the testing. So hopefully we'll get these test results back faster also. And what would be some of the symptoms? I know I mentioned a few that parents could consider going to the emergency room or to their physician to get testing for. Well, as we talked about, it's just like a cold. And so it's really fever, cough, um, runny nose. There's nothing to distinguish it early from a regular cold. What we're most concerned about, though, is when it causes lower respiratory tract disease or pneumonia. Um, and so those are the, the ones that really, the, those patients who have um, what looks like more of a pneumonia that we don't know what's causing the pneumonia, those are the ones that doctors really want to test. So if it's just like a little cough, congestion, really no reason to test, just like there really wouldn't be a reason to test before this happened. Before this happened, exactly. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think everyone is wondering if there are any new treatments coming down the pipeline or vaccines. Mm -hmm. Well, there's been a lot of talk about vaccines and there's a lot of effort being made to make the vaccines. But you know, making a vaccine is pretty tricky because we want to make sure that it's safe and we want to make sure that it's effective. So there are several different approaches. You have to test them first in laboratory animals, and then they undergo testing in adults. And um, usually it takes two to four weeks to develop a good immune response. And Okay, so, so it's going to be a process. We right. need more research. We're not there yet. It's going to take months to years to get a vaccine. I think the earliest we would see a vaccine would be in 12, 18 months, somewhere like that. That'd be, that would be really impressive if we got one then. Gotcha. So for now, mostly supportive care. Right. And just as an example, remember with the Ebola outbreak in West Africa, everybody was saying, we need an Ebola vaccine. That was 2013, 2014. One was just FDA approved in December wow. of 2019. So that's, that's how long it took. And that was a big effort. Yeah. Okay. That's a good comparison. So last week on the episode, we talked briefly about how children seem to be less affected, that they're having more mild disease. And I know that some research has come out more recently that sort of details COVID-19 and who it affects. And so are we still seeing that trend? Are we still seeing that kids are not as likely to be affected? We're still seeing that. There's been several reports that kids do get it, get infected, and so they certainly can get it. But in almost all cases, it's a mild infection. So that's the good news. So I'm just pulling out this um, paper that was published just last week in the Journal of the American Medical Association, and it's a report of the first 72,000 cases from the Chinese Center for Disease Control. And um, of those cases... 
they found that the vast majority, that 87%, were in adults between 30 and 79 years of age. Only 1% were in the 10 to 19-year-old age group and 1% less than 10 years of age. So really... 2% 2% of cases. In, and if you think about how kids are always putting things in their mouth mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the hygiene is not the best, that's sort of surprising to me. Right. And their immune systems are just developing, but they are strong. Remember, kids' immune systems are strong. And as you get older, like me, you know, then the immune system starts waning and gets weaker. Yeah. Have there been any changes into those numbers that we talked about that shows how easy it is to transmit the virus? and the mortality rate of the virus that we talked about. Yeah, some of the latest numbers in terms of the transmissibility show that it's more transmissible than previously thought. And that makes sense because the early estimates made it sound like it wasn't going to be transmitted very much. And yet we saw so many cases. I know, and you talked about that during the last episode. So we are seeing that number go up. We are seeing that number go up, yeah. And then the case fatality rate, which we expect to go down as we have more widespread testing, the latest numbers from the, the World Health Organization show an increase. So Previously, we were talking about um, 2.3% of people who have this dying, and the latest numbers from the WHO, they said 3.4%. So, you know, an an increase. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's always not good to hear. Mm -hmm. So I think the last thing to leave our parents and our listeners with is what can you do, again, to minimize the risks of exposure? And I think it's the things we talked about. It's hand washing. Hand washing. It's coughing into your elbow. Right. It's making sure when you're sick or your child is sick, you're staying home. Right. Avoid sick people if you can. Those are still the front lines. That's what you have to do to really fight off not only COVID-19, but all viruses. And again, we're still pushing everyone to get the flu shot. Right, we are. And can we talk about masking again? Can we ha- can we have a redo about that from last week? <laughs> yeah, so last week we had mentioned, because I said everyone was wearing masks, and what was that about, and does that really help? And what what you had mentioned last week was that it's really to protect sick people, their, contain their own droplets from giving it to other people. And um, since then, people were like, well, then why are we wearing them? Right, and so... So some of the nurses that both Lena and I work with have mentioned to us that maybe we weren't entirely accurate last week. And when I say we, I guess I should specifically say me, that I wasn't entirely accurate. So we talked about how wearing the standard rectangular surgical mask is primarily designed to protect you if you're sick from transmitting to others. But we do, we as healthcare workers, we wear them when we walk into a room when a kid is sick with a respiratory illness because we're going up with close contact, especially us with kids. You know, the, you know, a, a, a one-year-old isn't going to cover their cough and they can cough directly into our faces, really. And so that, that will provide a barrier for those droplets so that they don't go directly into us and so we don't breathe them in. So you do get some protection from those when you're in close contact with people. Well, just to clarify that we weren't recommending those masks to wear just all the time outside with casual contact because they're not impervious. They do have gaps in the side and on the, the, the top and the bottom. So we weren't recommending that for the general public. That's right. So we're hoping to do this brief weekly update so that we can keep our listeners informed of what is going on with the novel coronavirus. Um, please let us know if it's helpful and rate us on iTunes. And let us know if um, you have any questions that we haven't addressed. And if you think that we've said something wrong, 
please let us know. We'd appreciate that too. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. 